AntiUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AntiUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AntiUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AntiUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 21st, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast money can buy. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott, world record holder Long. <laughs> Official now. Well, we already have a world record for the longest-running poker podcast, regardless of people's health. <laughs> this would be the perfect week for me to say, you know what, Scott, let's <clears throat> let's just take a break and let me heal and not sound like I'm dying. But no, I've got a partner who can inflict more guilt than a Catholic priest. So we're I was doing just the show. Say, I'm like, you suggest we break the streak? I it blasted me. I've never heard this before. <laughs> this week. So I've already got a world record. I'm not impressed by yours anymore. <clears throat> by the way, my hand's going to be on the mute button for most of the show. Hopefully I won't hack in your ears too much. little Annie phlegm there, right? Uh, yeah, I got strep throat and, and phlegm all over the place. Wow. It's going to be a joyous day for our listeners. Yes, it is. All right, well, I uh, just got back from uh, Texas. Uh, went out and checked out one of uh, the new card clubs in Austin, and uh, gosh, Chris, I got to tell you, poker there is just booming. It's crazy to think about it now, but about a year ago when we first started hearing these rooms open, and we're like, eh, I don't know, but uh, they're just like, growing by leaps and bounds out there. So had to get out there and see it myself, and uh, wow, it, uh, it was eye-opening, to say the least. I would cool, say. very cool. So. Couple things. Uh, I just jotted down a couple notes while I was out there, so we'll just freestyle through this. Um, uh, like I said, I fully admit that when listeners uh, first started emailing us, I was super uh, dubious. Told them to join them while they can. We've seen this kind of model uh, start and struggle in other places. And every time somebody thinks they got a loophole, they think it's ironclad, and then somebody with the badge <laughs> says, "No, it's not." Right. Um, but, uh, but I have to say, uh, now after traveling there and just the research I've been doing the last, uh, couple months, um, I think I'm wrong. I think this, uh, poker is going to be there to stay. It may not be in the format it is now, which we'll talk about here a little bit more. Um, but, but I don't see it, uh, going away now. So, um, that's good news for folks in Texas because, uh, as I mentioned, when I was talking to one of the new managers out there he's like you don't realize how big of a state texas is <laughs> you know like you get to the border and it's like 458 miles to austin still <laughs> so you know to be able to unless you're on the edges where you can go to new mexico or oklahoma or louisiana if you wanted to play in a legal safe casino uh you didn't have much choice so now you have some choices so so we just basically set another world record on the show 47 years and someone finally admits they're wrong are you 47 now? Did you turn 47 this year? I'm 46. 46. 46. Oh, okay. 46 and some change. 
donate. <laughs> so what was it like? How did it go? Well, yeah. So I loosely knew what was going on and what what they um, what laws they were using to be able to do it. But um, it, it was really interesting to sit down and really get a good hard look at at how it works. So um, these card clubs are essentially country clubs. So, in addition to playing poker, you can play darts and chess if you'd like, Chris. Oh, Would yeah. You? Cool. No? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, it was kind of sad to see the two chess tables empty and the dart board empty as well, too. But <laughs> um, So, you have to buy a membership to be able to play. Um, the club I visited, um, it charges $10 for a daily membership, $20 for a monthly membership, and $200 for an annual membership. So, once you buy that membership, you are good for the length of it. So. Um, that's one way uh, they make revenue, and one way it makes it legal. Because now you're you're in a private club, right? Right. Now they're not allowed to profit from the actual poker in any way. So, no rake is taken from cash games. There's no entry fees in tournaments, and players are forbidden to tip dealers at the table. Uh, though they can leave a gratuity at the front desk on their way out, but that's split among all non-salaried employees in the in the company, not just the dealers. So. Um, so in lieu of all that, uh, players pay a $9 an hour seat rental fee, and that's regardless of whether you're playing tournaments or cash games. And uh, when you walk in, they ask you for your membership number, they give you a card, and then when you actually sit down at the table, you clock in, and then when you get up uh, to walk out, um, cash out your chips, hopefully, <laughs> if you want, or walk out uh, with your tail between your legs. Either way, you're stopping and clocking out and paying that uh, seat rental fee. So if you pay for four hours, you're paying 45 bucks on the way out. So if you're a member, like an annual member, mm-hmm. so they'll charge you the $200 fee like to your credit card once a year, and then but this other fee that you're paying, you have to pay that day like in cash, or can you put that on a credit card too, or what can you do? Uh, I, don't, I don't know whether you can use credit for any of this. I didn't ask about that. Uh, okay. Uh, it's possible. I, I just didn't ask, so I don't know. Okay. Um, but essentially, you turn in your card on the way out, and they're like, okay, you've been here five hours. You owe us 45 bucks. You gotcha. Wait. So, um, so, that's, so they're not making anything off the poker, but that's, that's your fee. So, um, you know, and I kind of knew that going in, but now I got the actual hard numbers. But uh, it's interesting when you start thinking about what this means, right? So, um, one thing is, is that it makes quick exits from tournaments cheaper, right? So let's say you're playing a normal casino tournament, $125 buy-in, 25 bucks. So that is the entry fee, right? So $100 surprise pool. Right. Um, if you get knocked out in the first hour of a t- that that same tournament, which is only going to cost you $100 now in Texas, if you get knocked out in the first hour, it's going to cost you 109 because you only paid $9 for the first hour that you've been playing, right? Right. So uh, if you get knocked out early, well, in that case, within like the first two hours, three hours is roughly a, a wash, uh, you're actually paying less than you would in a casino, right? Right. Now, obviously, if you go above that, um, let's say you're playing six hours, you'd be paying $54, which is more than you would pay in a casino, but theoretically, at that point, you're hopefully in the money, and then you're not going to whine about having to pay a little extra, uh, or at least you shouldn't. So, really, the only uh, rough spot that I saw, and they kind of confirmed it when I was talking to it, is that the, the, not just a bubble player, but the bubble-ish players, right? Right. So if you play longer than what the entry fee would have been and didn't cash, then that's a problem for you, right? Now right. you're paying more to play. Right. Uh, but it's a very small number, and it's interesting talking to them about strategies on how to make that, that work a little bit better. But um, And then I also thought, you know, from a strategical standpoint, 
Doesn't this make you want to play a little bit more aggressively? Because uh, you get knocked out early, you're paying less of an entry fee than you would normally. And if you chip up by playing aggressively, then you have a better chance of actually cashing, and you'll pay more of an entry, quote-unquote, entry fee. Um, but you'll cash, so it won't. I don't know. If it's, if it's a game that's different than I'm comfortable playing, and I know I'm going to cash playing my way, and I'm going to run the risk of never cashing, trying to change my game to a... I don't know. I guess it just depends if you have that in your arsenal. If that's your ability to be able to play more aggressive and to chip up and survive longer, then yeah, I guess so. But it just depends. If, if you're the type of player that's really passive and likes to just sort of wait for the big pot and then survive and wait for the big pot and survive, because that's how you've made it this far, I don't know. Changing the game might cost you more money. So are there well, buy-ins? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there so, are buy-ins. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the but buy-in goes all to the price pool. So okay, that's like cool. In, in that scenario, it would be a $100 buy-in, whereas in a casino, it would be 125 Okay, so gotcha, yeah. Be right? So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it would encourage chops. Hey, let's chop now so the whole, oh, that's interesting the too. whole table doesn't have to pay, you know, another 90 bucks as a table, you know, if we go past midnight or something, you know. So let's just chop for another... Saving on ninety bucks out of the price pool, or whatever. So yeah, Think about um, that. I don't know. I guess the aggressive. I guess you make. It makes sense. I just if it doesn't make you feel comfortable playing that way. Well, then, you're right. You're right. You'd have to be able to play that way. Yeah. But I would think if you're a player that's able to adjust your game by looking at it this way. My mind, I'm going to take a little bit more chances early on because if I'm going to get eliminated anyhow, why do I want to? Why do I want to pay fifty four dollars to get eliminated when I can pay nine dollars to get eliminated? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but also, from an operational standpoint, I thought this was interesting, too, that I thought about. Um, it makes running tournaments the same level of profit as running cash games. So if you're sitting in a cash game, you're playing $9 an hour. If you're in a tournament, you're playing $9 an hour. So in a traditional casino environment, um, tournaments in a lot of rooms are loss leaders, right? They lose money on them, but mm-hmm. they run them because people want them, and they also run them to get people in the room. Um, or if they're not loss leaders, they're, they're, not, they're certainly not making as much money as cash games. So... Here now, as an operator, I mean, you could you could be an all tournament room if you wanted to, and you're making the same amount of money as you would if you're an all cash room. You know, as long as that's what players want to play, right? Yeah. Um, so you don't have to do some of these strategies that you do in a casino environment, um, where you have to make uh, tournaments at times a day that are advantageous for you, or make the structures advantageous for you, or you know, give in to players that say they went. 100,000 units in seven-hour levels, <laughs> and then, you know, but only want to pay $25. Right. Right? So it will be interesting for me to see how, how these rooms develop um, with that. Um, this particular club uh, has free coffee for players, brings in free barbecue at times, which is nice. Um, this one did not have a beer and wine license. I don't think that's necessarily uh, forbidden. That could be wrong in that. But So it's, uh, players can bring their own beer if you want. They have fridges there. It's kind of cool. Um, tables and equipment are nice. I felt like once I walked in uh, to the room, it was pretty comparable to um, some casinos. Um, and uh, this particular room I went to just brought in managers from Hollywood, Columbus, and Bellagio to run the room. And uh, so now they're in the process of bringing in experienced dealers um, and retraining the dealers they have. Um, so the experience is on par with the casino. So that shows you kind of that, that was the, like the final trigger for me is like. These folks are paying good money for very experienced managers from the casino environment to come down and run these rooms. And those folks are coming down. They're deciding that um, it's worth it to come down and be on the ground floor of what's going on in Texas. Um, 
And then interesting thing for dealers too, um, obviously you don't get tipped to the table, right? So right. Uh, the room has to pay you more. And so it's a steady gig there. So, you know, one of the things that, particularly like in big cities like Vegas, what folks don't know is during the summer season when there are series everywhere, right? Every dealer is full-time or more. Right. After the series breakdown, the core dealers are the ones that, that have a regular schedule. The restaurant calls. So you might get a couple shifts a week, right? So you've got to be really good at managing your money in that scenario. Um, here, come down to, to Texas, and you're going to get a straight um, – a weekly paycheck and 401k and healthcare and everything like that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how many experienced dealers move from casino environments to go down to Texas and take advantage of what seems to be a much better working environment, at least in that situation. So what's, what's say the downside to this? Like, and just as a responsible journalist, what, what, like, in other words, I think the, the tournament players could actually see a downside to this as if they, like you said, if you last, long enough to miss the bubble you're paying twice what you'd paid in a normal tournament probably because you could you could easily last six hours and not make money and pay 54 dollars in a hundred dollar tournament whereas if you're playing a regular hundred dollar tournament you're probably paying 20 you know between 10 and 15 or 20 dollars or 25 dollars for an entry fee so i guess that's the one negative there is there any other negatives you can think of um well a couple things i think one uh, one thing that the, the whole I think the whole state's working through. Obviously, I only talked to one operator here, but uh, but they're part of a group of other operators that get together regularly and talk about standardizing some things. So you know, these rooms are not the, the poker part of it's not regulated by anyone. I mean, obviously, all these rooms have business licenses, all, all the normal business kind of licenses you need to get, um, and those vary from the city and county that they're operating in. So there's some difference between those, right? But the actual poker is not being regulated. Um, so, you know, one of the challenges now is, is folks trying to figure out how to make this work, right? Um, and constantly having their lawyers look at the laws and see what they can do. Um, so some are probably pushing the edge. And, and we, we have known that some rooms have gotten closed in other jurisdictions, right? But, right. Um, but as you get more opening up, more competition, I think there's more pressure on these rooms to uh, experiment, um, which is a good thing for players normally. Um, but I think it's also going to encourage some rooms to kind of push the edge a little bit. And if they push too far, that could be a problem, right? Um, or it, it makes it so the experience uh, of playing is different, not just from the aesthetic point of view or the what the terms they offer, but... The actual hey, I can go here and play a fat, I mean a flat um, seat rental fee for the tournament, which is one of the things being debated now versus the per hour uh, seat rental fee. Yeah, and what's better on that again, right? You know, so I mean that I think that's a tough choice for a player to be honest, because um, that's going to change your mind. You're going to be results oriented, right? Yeah. If I go into a room and it has a flat fee of. $40 rental fee and I go out in the first hand, I'm going to be upset and wish they did the seat rental fee, right? The right, hourly. Right. And if I go to the other room and I pay the hourly and then I bubble after five hours and have to spend $45, I'm going to be upset that they didn't do the flat. So I don't think they're ever, I mean, again, we, we know how hard it is to please poker players anyhow. So I think that's one of the challenges that they're going to have there. Um, and it's also interesting from a, um, it was interesting here that the group get together. That there's a group get together trying to work things out because, 
you know, no one really likes regulation, right? But there is a benefit to regulation that it, it provides a standardization and then the people, the best operators rise to the top when there's a level playing field, right? Yeah. When there's regulation, you know, somebody over there could be doing something that players like, but your particular lawyer says, that's not my interpretation. I don't want you guys to have legal risk of doing it, so you shouldn't do it. So now now you're fighting on an uneven playing field, even if you might be a better operator. So um, I did hear the term wild, wild west thrown around out there this week, and uh, I see that. I mean, it's a growing industry. It's really on the bottom floor right now. There's going to be a lot of growth, um, and when there's anytime there's a lot of growth in anything, there's a little pain on the, along the way. So it'll be interesting to watch for a while, but... Um, you know, the other thing too they're, they're struggling with is, is convincing locals that it's legal, <laughs> or that they're or they're operating within the law. So, you know, a new casino opens up down the street from your house, everybody floods it the first day, right? Because yeah. it, it's a built-in. Well, it, it it must be legal, right? But you know, when you've got a card club in a strip mall and you haven't heard of anything like that, you know, you got to be encouraged to do your own homework and, and feel comfortable playing. So yeah, yeah. lots of challenges, but lots of opportunities. So I, I think the folks that like being out are out there now, like the, like both of that, like the challenge and the opportunity, uh, people who are very risk averse probably won't venture out to Texas and try it until it gets somewhere, but we'll see how it develops, but very cool interesting right now. Good. All right, moving on. Uh, boy, I'm gonna move down here. Uh, all right, so uh, our good stories from the India Poker Tour events keep on coming. Last weekend, popular pro Chip Jet came out on top of the uh, AUPT event that was part of the Venetian Las Vegas Deep Stack Extravaganza Three Series. Jet and the other final three players agreed to an ICM deal that gave Jet the title. And the extravaganza continues for a couple more days through September 23rd. More information at Venetian.com. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so the, I was putting the seat assignments up on before the final day, and I saw that Chip was pretty high up there. I meant to send you a message to let you know. I'm like, hey, Chip's up there. That'd be great if he won. And then there were a couple other interesting players in the field as well, too, still. And then I uh, wake up the next morning, and uh, um, Chris Cronin, our, our ad director, was out there covering for us and posted the Chip uh, won. So very exciting. Yeah, that's so cool. Good for them. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I look forward to having them out at Thunder Valley for the World Championship next year. Hopefully, we'll bring uh, Karina and the and the kids, and uh, it'll be good to have uh, the just hanging out with me in California. So, <laughs> all right, and then uh, boy, this is very interesting as well too. So, short deck poker, which was created in Asia a few years ago, of course it was. Everything's being created in Asia now. Right? <laughs> uh, it's been played online since. Is now finding its way into brick and mortar tournament series in the United States, and some are saying that it's the future of poker. In short deck, all the deuces through fives are stripped from the deck. With the 36-card deck, it changes hand ranking, so flushes beat full houses, and three-of-a-kind beats straights. And an ace can play high or low, so the lowest straight, I guess you'd call it the wheel, (laughs) uh, Salvador Dali wheel, (laughs) would be ace, six, seven, eight, nine. That is crazy. I play short deck uh, pitch, you know, setback. Uh, where they take everything out except for the deuce, the tray, the ten, jack, queen, king, and ace, and uh, so you know you're always someone's always bid two, then three, then four, and then it's like okay, whoever has the jack's gonna bid four practically, and that's kind of makes the game fun because you know you're you got good hands almost all the time. So this is kind of like that, only a lot more cards. Um, I don't know. I don't see. I I think we had an event in one of our recent magazines where that it was a short deck. 
don't know. Yeah, I, uh, but right? uh, best bets, best bets having one coming. Yeah, up. best bet. That's what it is. Okay, so yeah, so huh? We'll see. Yeah, I, 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 I guess what I'm curious, and, and I got that line about future poker came from um, RA director of poker Sean McCormick, who I respect a lot. So, and he's most of these things have been at the high levels, the nosebleeds, ten thousand buy-ins, and high lower events. So, I think the best bet's the first one I saw at a, a more modest buy-in. But I'll be interested to talk more about him about what he thinks, why this he thinks this is going to be the future of poker. I mean, I get that it's interesting. Um, obviously, you have to adjust your thinking on what be what. Um, but I don't know. I, I've only read like one strategy article, so I, I guess I'm missing what makes this drastically different than no limit hold'em. Are you seeing anything there? I'm not. No, just fewer cards and different rules. But I mean, other than that, it's not. It's the same game. It's just. It, I, the question I have is: is why? I mean, why? I mean, really, are we all that OCD that we have to keep trying to come up with these stupid games and different why. things? The answer yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really. I mean, you, you can't enjoy the fifty-two card game. I mean, I mean, you're not playing for enough money, or you, you want to make it more exciting. Play for more money. If you can't do it, you know, I mean, it's carnival games. Just now, what? There's, now you guarantee next year, short deck bracelet, so we could have seventy-nine entries in the bracelets next year, or so, you know, what I mean, it, it's just I don't know. It just when's it end? You know, I mean, we 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 have plenty of. And they said the PLO was going to be the next thing too, and. That clearly never happened. So, well, I would say it clearly hasn't happened. Big O is actually has a pretty good footprint. It hasn't obviously replaced Noam and Hold'em, so, but uh, it, P, uh, Big O has proven not to be a fad, I think. Now, this could be a fad. I don't know. But, but, you know, but Big O and even PLO, there's a variation. There's more to it. There's, you know, you got four cards or five cards. Uh, this, the variation is they just take some cards out. Yeah, and uh, rearrange the uh, so I don't know. Just, I'm sure there's something there. There must be a reason that it's getting so popular that people like it. Um, I, I got to guess maybe just because there's a lot of pros talking about it that it's it's uh, the the separation between players is so thin that pros benefit from it where others wouldn't. Right? Maybe that's it. <clears throat> I don't know. It's just a fad. You could play other games with this deck too. So you could play all the games with this deck. You know, what I mean, it doesn't have to just be Hold'em. That's a thing, but it's, it's just, it's just another thing. It's like, oh, you know, Chinese poker is taking over the world, and yeah, well, it was all a fad. Now, all the results that are coming in, no, there's hardly any Chinese poker in any of the results again. You know, I just, it's just fads. I don't know. I don't think this is going to be the next thing. It's not the future of poker. It's just. I don't no know way. if you can play all the games with this. You well, know, what couldn't you play? Game, you can call short deck deuce to seven and see how that goes. <laughs> well, it'd be a six seven eight nine, or a seven eight nine ten, I guess. And the, I don't know because that, that's a wheel. Yellow, so. might be a little struggle as well too. So <laughs> never never leave the gate without a six in your hand or whatever the hell the the rule would be for that. But yeah, I mean, you could play pretty much any game. You have to adjust the rules, but. I, do I think it's a future of poker? Not in this continent. I don't know. I guess I just got to see it played a little bit more to understand. Yeah, yeah. Any updates? Here's where our Annie Up Poker Tour is going next. Pearl River Open at Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, October 25th to November 4th. The Quiva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix, March 23rd to 31st. Annie Up World Championship and the Annie Up NorCal Classic at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California in July. And the Wild Horse Pass Hotel and Casino, also near Phoenix, November 11th to the 16th. Our 2019 Antioch Poker Cruise schedule includes a 16-night Panama Canal crossing, an 8-night Southern Caribbean adventure, and two shorter weekend cruises. 
Passengers on all sailings get a one-month membership to advanced poker training and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more info, visit com. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcastingantyupmagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor at Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Jim R. in Australia. He said, I emailed about a year ago when online poker legislative changes loomed in Australia, and we were enjoying our last few moments of online poker goodness. Since then, online poker has been wiped out. 888 Poker pulled their major sponsorship of Australian poker events, And not living near a casino, I am left with Pub Poker, a short, super, turbo, casual poker event held in my local bar on Tuesdays that typically runs for three hours. Has a $25 buy-in and 30 entries if they're lucky. My question today is, what advice would you give when playing a super turbo, short format event? I had good results online, but have struggled to shift my game to the super turbo format. The game is typically of an average level with a handful of super aggros that I find tough to play against, and within an hour or two, I'm reduced to less than 10 big blinds, unless I run into a string of premium hands, which is rare given the amount of hands played. Any tips on playing such a short format game? Well, it doesn't surprise me that there are super aggros in this game. What does surprise me is that there's only a handful of them. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's really it. You know, when, when the, the structure is this fast, you can't play the way you used to play, Jim. You can't sit around waiting for those premium hands because you're not going to get them quickly enough. And um, so you're going to have to loosen up your ranges a little bit, uh, bet much uh, but stronger when you have good hands um, because players that understand this are going to be more likely to call because they know what's going on here. So... Um, I guess this goes back to what we're talking about with the Texas thing, right? Where you have to be, where you might, it might make more sense to be more aggressive. Yeah. And you're like, well, if you don't have it in your arsenal, you can't do it. I agree. So, but if this is your only option here, you, you, you got to get it in your arsenal. Otherwise, you're not going to do well and you're not going to enjoy it. And then you're going to quit playing poker, right? So, um, the good news, I think, is that it's $25 buy in, which, you know, again, I don't know. Uh, uh, what your financial situation is there, Jim, but I'm going to assume 25 bucks isn't that bad. Um, you know, it's a good way of learning to play a little bit more aggressive now. So, yeah, you might get knocked out pretty quickly in a couple couple weeks, but 25 bucks to learn to, to, to beat this game. But you just can't sit back and do what you were doing before. You're never going to win. Yeah, I when, I, when I was playing turbos online, I would treat every hand that I wanted to play as a raising hand. You know, sometimes I'll limp with a suited ace or with smaller sets or I mean, smaller pairs, I mean, to make sets and stuff. But, um, you know, or sometimes I would, I would call instead of re-raise and stuff. When I have hands like that now, in these types of scenarios, I always raise. Yep. I mean, again, a lot of it's position, too, I think. I mean, you don't want to go crazy and just start raising with seven deuce of the gun. But, you know, on the button, you should be playing a lot of hands, almost all your hands probably, um, one off, pretty much the same, and then you should be raising with a lot of hands and re-raising with it. Um, different way of playing, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like I say, like if I, I, was, I was, had the thing on mute because I was hacking there. That's why I stopped talking for a second. Um, like if I had seven, eight of clubs, sometimes I'll raise with that. But sometimes I won't. In this sort of scenario, I'm getting in there with all kinds of hands because let them guess whether or not I have the hand this time or not. 
you know, and even if you do get called, you know, you're typically going to be able to win that hand regardless of your cards. That's why the game is always said that you play the player. So I would tend to just be in there putting chips in a lot with whatever hands I would like to play. It doesn't have to always be premium hands put money in the middle. So uh, just be aggressive with any hand you want to play and let them try to figure out if you have the big hand that time or not. And then by the time they figure it out, you may actually have the big hand and, you know, you'll get your, your premium hands when they come too. So, I don't know, just be, you got to be more aggressive. You can't just sit back. There's no chance. Then you're going to always be short stacked and you're never going to have any serious run at the title. So, um, just play every hand that you want to play aggressively. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcastandandyatmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled, except this week. This week's prize is set up a J-Design playing cards. The official playing cards of any poker cruises available at ClassicPlayingCards.com comes from Landon Pemper. He says, I was playing in a home game at night. Before you go, isn't Landon Pemper, isn't like the best novel name? I mean, I mean, other than Will Hopper, of course. But uh, Like uh, for like a character in a novel? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Like, just what an awesome name, Landon Pemper. Mm. He sounds like a guy that can solve like problems and, you know, and yeah, has exactly. a formal, right. educa- it's formal education. It's a great detective name, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, it does. Sounds like a good, good name. I mean, the only good thing about Scott Long, it's so boring, <laughs> it's, it's, it's easy to spell, right? So, Or when it's said backwards, it sounds like Longshot. So, <laughs> I was playing at a home game with 19 players, tournament style. We were down to three players, and I shoved with pocket tens preflop and got one caller <clears throat> uh, who has me covered at tables ace nine. The flop is ten, queen, five, rainbow. The turn and river bring an eight and a jack. My opponent mucks his hand, and I haul in the chips. As the next dealer turns over all the cards preparing to shuffle, a spectator immediately comments to the villain that he actually had a straight. Being that it was late in the night, the villain and I were puzzled. We flipped back over all our cards and reassembled them, realizing his nine did give him an awkward straight, beating my set of tens. The villain says it was his fault for mucking, and we should play on. I refuse, knowing he had me beat. The spectators agree uh, the villain won the pot. I gave him all of my chips and settled for third place. Was this the correct call? Absolutely. You know, hands need to be tabled. Any properly tabled hand should be awarded the pot. And he tabled his ace-nine. I mean, he says tabled it, so I'm assuming he properly tabled it, right? Um, and if that's the case, um, then he's due the pot. Um, you know, I guess the muck thing throws it off a little bit, but he tabled it, so it was properly tabled. So whatever happens after that um, is fine. Now, you can't go – there's a statute of limitations on it, right? You know, once the the next shuffle starts, then your SOL at that point, if you haven't brought it up. In fact, that happened to me at the, the eight-game mix at, at the, the Annie Up Tour in Reno. I, um, I was uh, during the Omaha, and I was uh, playing for a straight – um, or I'm sorry, flush, and I didn't get there on the river, board paired. A uh, guy showed he had something better, whatever it was, and I don't normally throw my hand over, but I did just because I'm like, eh, whatever. And uh, I'm like, because I had all kinds of outs, right? It's one of those things where you want pity from the table, which is stupid because no one's going to give you pity. Right. Scooped it up, pushed the pot to him, get ready to shuffle, and then um, uh, that Lauren Klein at the end table, he's like, uh, I think Scott had a, uh, a full house there. You know, he had a pocket pair, and and I'm like, I started thinking about it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're right. But at that point, chips were already pushed. Cards were coming out next time. You know, I, I missed my opportunity. It's fine. You know, I needed to be able to read my own hand, right? Yeah. 
But in this case, everybody else read the hand. I don't know, understand why the dealer or um, or Landon or the uh, the winner of the pot were the only three people that didn't notice it. But you know, they made it right, and um, you know, I think it was really nice of Landon actually to to. It seems weird to say it's nice to do the right thing, but but there are a lot of poker players that wouldn't have done that, right? They would have. Yeah, no, no. People stick left. to the rules, you know. They like to stick to the rules, and they're like, "Hey, I'm really sorry, but you didn't read your hand," and you know. But that's what's interesting here. Is there's two rules, right? There, the hand was tabled, so that's one rule. That's that's the rule I think should be enforced. Your table, your hand was properly tabled. Pot should go to you. And then there's this whole mocking thing, right? Which yeah. is when hands mock, then you can't go back in the muck and show it. But but that's the difference here is that when you mock, and then. You know, no one saw your cards, and then you got to do that whole whisper rule thing, which is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Here, people saw the hand, so that's a little bit different. So, um, but I can see people arguing both ways, and this is why it's good to have a floor come over and home game. You don't have that, unfortunately. It feels like to me, though, the muck is like the making of coffee. Once you put cream and sugar in there, you can't get back to black. You know, you put the cards in the muck. I understand you had the winning hand, but you mucked them. That's your responsibility. Yeah, but you tabled, though, so people knew you had it, right? It's a different story. Yeah, no, I understand that. I understand that, but, you know, you still mucked it. You know, people saw it, and I don't know. I agree. I, I mean, I, I agree, and I think Landon did the right thing. He, he did the took the high road, um, but he could have fought it if he wanted to, I think, because that rule is in place, too, for a reason. But, no, but again, I think that's also the technicality, right? We keep talking about trying not to win positive Yeah, yeah you don't want to, but you still can. That's 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 oh, not yeah. a rule saying you can't win a technicality. It's technical for a reason. I just I think he did the right thing, so I'm happy for him that he did the right thing. I'm sorry he finished third, but you feel better about finishing third and doing the right thing than winning and everyone thinking you're a scumbag. <laughs> hey, we're going to complete O'Malley's move, so uh, here comes part one. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're still playing $2-$3 at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. Our stack has ballooned to around $5.25. We are under the gun, and after the blinds post, we look down at the Jack of Spades, Jack of Clubs. We make our standard under-the-gun raise to $20, and MP calls. This is the same opponent from last episode who called our all-in on the turn with third pair. He's a solid player, but relies on his reads too much. He sits with 400. Remember, last week he put us on exactly ace-king after we raised from the small blind. Could he be doing this again here? The rest of the table folds, and with about $45 in the pot, the flop is the seven of diamonds, four of spades, deuce of hearts. This is a good flop for our jacks, so we're going to value bet here. We make it $30 to go. Our opponent wastes little time in calling. The pot is around 100, and the turn is the nine of diamonds. I like to keep up the value betting here, but I won't be entirely disappointed if he folds. We make it $50 to go, and once again, our opponent calls. With right around $200 in the pot, the river is the tray of clubs. So, it's to us. Are we making another bet here? Check calling? Check folding? What if we bet and get raised? What's the move? Uh, it's hard to see how this river card hurt us, um, unless our opponent was stubbornly sticking around with ace-5. Um, I feel like we're ahead, but it's difficult to think of what our opponent was staying in his hand with. A set? A passively played pocket queens? Uh, even though I think we're ahead, I'm going to slow down here and check colony bet 
If we're beat, we may get away uh, more cheaply than if we shove, which is our only real bet here. And if we're ahead, we might induce a bluff that would not call our all-in. Yeah, you know, I probably check call too. Uh, I, I too see no reason why we're behind. However, it, if we have given this player the impression that we bluff often, then I'll make a bet. Um, uh, and if and if he makes a bet, I'll let him call any bet. Um, but I, I, I probably do check call here just in case. I mean, I think the pot's. I don't know, but I, I maybe I make if I'm convinced I'm ahead, I'll make some sort of value bet. But uh, all right, here goes part two. Hello again. We're going to make a third bet at this pot for one reason. This guy put us on exactly ace king last episode, and there's a good chance he's done that again. I'm betting he has some sort of pair, maybe eights or possibly a week seven. But since he relies on his reads too much, I bet we can get some more value for this hand. In fact, I'm almost completely confident this is a value betting situation. With almost $200 in the pot, we make a value bet of 100 Our opponent thinks briefly before saying, you have ace-king or ace-queen. I call. We quietly table our jacks and our opponent mucks. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying it's important to come up with a range of hands your opponent could have rather than one or two specific hands. It will save you money in the long run. I hope to see you on the felt. Well, O'Malley obviously is confident in how this player plays, and that's great. Um, but with uh, less information on opponent, I'm sticking my check call plan. So I think this was a win for O'Malley on reading the opponent, but um, I think by the book, it probably should be a check call. Yeah, me too. I agree. I think uh, I, I think O'Malley knows him better than than, than he let on. Um, if I was that confident, yeah, I would have made that bet too. But uh, check call makes makes sense to me too. So, all right, good job, O'Malley. It's time for the AdvancedPokerTrain.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands for situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And remember last week, Ed Rindler, our friend, sent us two Hands of the Week. We read the first one, and today we will be reading the second one. And remember, he's playing online on Bavada back in the day. This is old hands. He recently rediscovered. Right. Um, so he said, I uh, just sat down at this table, had no stats on anyone. It's a, a two cent a nickel game, bought in for three dollars. Uh, one one hand, so he's up to 485. Uh, that was on his first hand. On the second hand of the session, now is Jeez. what we're talking about. Okay, um, eight players in, and uh, let's see, I am in the cutoff. The under the gun plus one has seven dollars and 61 cents and raises to 32 cents. <laughs> Middle position player who has $20 calls, hijack folds, and again, we are in the cutoff with the deuce of hearts, deuce of diamonds, and I'm calling the floor because this is short deck poker. <laughs> Where'd those cards come from? Oh, uh, let's see. Deuce, deuce. Feeling pretty good at the table. You just won the first hand. Doyle Brunson would tell you to be in there again because you won that hand. Uh, so I guess I'd just call and give it a shot what the heck yeah again this is it's i don't know how you analyze this right because there's a two a two penny nickel game i just everything's out the door for me right because it's just it's so insignificant to me that i'm going to play crazy right yeah but if we think of it as a two dollar five dollar game which is we kind of sort of did last week that makes it a little easier to understand so now i gotta call a 32 dollar raise um it's still um, 
in the ten percent rule here. So yeah, I'm definitely going to call and um, see what happens. Um, going for that set. I'm not trying to get a flush or a straight here. <laughs> no, no, we're just hoping to pop a set here and and double up. All right, uh, our hero says implied odds say to take a chance for thirty-two cents. If I don't hit the flop at all, I can get out with any problems. Uh, so that's what we do. The button folds, uh, blinds fold, and ninety-three uh, cents of high society in the pot. We got a little flop. <laughs> uh, four of diamonds, four of hearts, four of spades. Gosh, I miss online poker. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, and both players check. So it's on us with our baby boat. I'm going to bet. I mean, I have position. I have a full house. Clearly, these two didn't hit a full house. Unless, if they hit quads, I'll find out in a minute. But I'm going to bet something. I'm going to bet half the pot, probably. Yeah, I like I like this kind of same card flop because no one really puts anybody on a four. And so anybody with like an ace or even a king tends to stick around stubbornly because they think if they compare their card, then they got the best hand, right? Yeah. So this is not a hand where you need to slow down. I mean, this is a hand you're going to get called, so you might as well get some value out of it and make those people pay. It's almost like, you know, making them pay to hit their draw, which is what, what they're doing, right? So, yeah, yeah. All right, so how much did you bet there? Uh, about half the pot, uh, 50 cents yeah. maybe, because it was almost a dollar in the pot, so. I like it. Uh, all right, our hero says one pitfall to online poker is misclicks. I typed out fifty cent bet, then hit check. Oh, I hate those things. There used to be a uh, remember the remember the online room called I think it was just called the poker room or something. Oh, poker room with the little characters. Yeah, yeah, it had like the Teddy KGB guy. Yeah, there was the yep. there was a button above one that if you hit that you would fold, but if you hit one you could bet a dollar. And I went to bet a dollar once with pocket aces and I hit fold. Oh, so I yeah I hated that misclick mistype stuff. Oh, that drove me crazy. <laughs> uh, all right, so yeah, should I hit the fifty? I think we were in agreement on that. Uh, he says I feel like it was the only way to know where I'm in the hand, uh, but I had to play as is. So see what happens now. Turn is the five of diamonds. So our board now is four diamonds, four hearts, four spades, five of diamonds. Undergun plus one bets fifty one cents, and the middle position folds. So it's on us. Heads up now. I have no problem calling this. I, I mean, I, I would have bet that anyway earlier. Now you're giving him a free card, but I don't think the five hit him. Right, yep. It could be that he's picked up a draw now, you know, with uh, could be anything, six, seven, two diamonds, whatever. So um, I don't know if I'm going to – I might raise just to see if this guy's serious. Um, you know, I think that's a good play, and here's why. Because we meant to bet last time, right? Right. So it's possible that this guy was slow playing his boat a bigger boat, which you might want to slow play. I mean, we had the, a baby boat where you had to bet, right? Mm -hmm. So had we bet that 50 cents on the flop, he might have decided to call, I mean, raise at that time, you know, if he didn't want to walk the dog, and then we would have known, hey, at that point, it's pretty hard uh, to think that we're good, right? So now, since we missed that by misclicking, now I think we got to figure out now whether he's just taking a stab at it because we all checked around or whether he really was slow playing. So I might do that min-race thing here and go to a buck and a deuce. Buck and a deuce. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a, a new name for a Texas poker room. <laughs> the, a I'll meet you down at the buck and a deuce. 
<laughs> um, yeah, that's fine too. I mean, uh, maybe even just make it 150 because that's pretty traditional. Yeah, um, do that. You know, somebody if they're on a flush draw isn't going to mind. I mean, it's for me, it's a probing raise though. I just want to find out whether this guy's got something or not. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I don't see any reason to waste an extra 50 cents for that. If he's going to raise me, he's going to raise me. So, I mean, let's do the minimum. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you want a flush draw to come along, so that's a good way to do it too. If if some guy's got a flush draw, you want a min raise. Uh, they're gonna probably gonna call that, so that's a good idea. You don't want to scare the flush draw off. So I guess it, if you're really looking for the answer, though, you know what I mean. Then you're gonna want a bit more, because then you know if the guy's got a better full house and he's gonna pop you again. Um, oh, unless he he's worried you have the four. So this is a very intriguing hand, actually. Now, when you think about it, if you do make yeah. it like one fifty or two dollars. You know, if the guy does have like ten ten or something, he might now just call because he's worried, and then that might make you confident when you actually have the worst hand. You know, you might actually win with the worst hand. So, interesting stuff here. But I think a, I think a min raise really doesn't accomplish anything for us. Hmm. We won't get anybody to fold, and then now we don't know what he has. He could have a flush draw doing that, or he could have. Well, I, I'm not trying to necessarily get anybody to fold. I'm I'm trying to figure out if he's got something here. I want to poke the bear a little bit and yeah, find out. Yeah. Well, I don't think eight eight the fold does that, but but that would tell me if he just calls, then I feel more confident about my hand, right? Yeah. Folds, then you know, wasn't getting anything more out of him anyhow, and if he raises, then I, I, I can I can put some more of those hands that I'm worried about back into his range. So I would say a min raise could make that person think you have quads, but I don't think. Well, in this case, we didn't actually bet the fifty cents because we misclicked. So you could still make them think you have quads with a min raise here too. So. It's got some benefit to it, I guess. All right, see what happens. Our hero says, uh, since I made a mistake, I do not know if his check on the flop was the trap or if because I checked, he feels emboldened to bet here. Uh, exactly. Uh, he says, I, so I call. Think about it later. I probably should have raised. This may have been my second mistake in the pot. With 195 in the pot, we go to the river. Yeah, at this point, we really don't know. So now he's going to bet anything on this yeah. river, right? Yeah. And then just got to guess, right? Yeah. So, um, all right, the river is the nine of clubs. Final board is four of diamonds, four of hearts, four of spades, five of diamonds, nine of clubs, and our opponent checks to us now. Oof. I I think that if we're going to bet, we're only going to get called by a better hand. Um, I don't think we're going to – I don't think we're going to get paid off um, by a it's worse a hand. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the only hand that we beat now is, is a non-pair bluff. So, you know, we're only going to get called by a better hand, so there's no reason to bet here unless you're confident that this person has, like, sixes and you can get them to fold with a big bet. Um, and I don't know if I'm confident in that in such low stakes, too. I mean, I know we're trying to think of it as a 2-5 game, but it's a 2-5 cent game, and they're not thinking that way probably. So I just check behind, and if I take it down, I'll be happy to take down the second pot in a row you know, it's it's a decent sized pot. It's not huge or anything, but you know, you, you got deuces. You were hoping for a set of deuces, and instead, you're going to win a pot with a pair of deuces. So yeah. you could be happy with that too. I would check behind. Yeah, it really seems to me like this guy took our 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 misclick, which he didn't know, right? As everybody was scared of that flop, so I'm going to put out 51 cents and take this pot down, and then when we call, then he's like, oh, okay, somebody's got something. Right. And that's what he's checking out. I, I can't see any other reason why you would play it this way. You know, again, we're at the two-cent, five-cent level, so who knows, but... Um, so it certainly seems like he, he, he took a stab at the pot, didn't work, he's done, uh, we bet, 
more than likely he's going to fold. Um, but, you know, could be wrong on this read. And then if he raises, what are we going to do now, right? So if he raises, I don't think you can call if he raises, right? So I don't. why put yourself in a bad spot? So. I agree. All right. Arir says, since I messed this hand up so bad, I feel the best move is to check. The problem here is I think I let the initial check get in my head and made me make multiple mistakes. I don't know if he would have called any bet I made in the river, but uh, but think he may have on the flop or the turn uh, if I would have raised when he turn uh, when he turns over king of diamonds, jack of diamonds for his missed flush draw. Ah. He said, I had something similar happen in a live game recently where I was listening to my earbuds and got a phone call while I was in the hand. I put my hand down while looking at my phone, and the dealer said I checked. Next was a comedy of errors. I was confused why he said I checked. The next player bet all in. And I looked at the board and called, flipping over my cards to see I had nothing. Think I had, thinking I had flopped two pair from the previous hand. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I learned how to reset my mind frame when something goes amiss. I could have easily checked my cards and realized I didn't have what I thought. I didn't fold it, but instead I cost myself a buy-in in that tournament. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the mistakes you made in this hand are as bad as that hand um, for lots of reasons. But um, uh, but here's the thing. So it goes back to what we're saying. Had we bet that river, he's folding, right? Right. Unless he's really emboldened to say, hey, I'm going to play play back at this guy. But that seems really reckless. So, And I think if you bet the flop, he folds, too, because he doesn't have his flush draw there. So you actually got 51 cents out of the guy more than you would have had you made not misclicked. So that's an interesting... Okay. Now, what I I wonder what would happen now. This is what's interesting about this hand. What if the it wasn't the nine of clubs, but the nine of diamonds? Oh, jeez. Now he doesn't check, right? Now yeah. he bets. Yeah. And now we got to think about. I mean, we're probably still going to call. Yeah, so. we're going to call. But he's not unless a guy shoves, then you got to really think about it. But I think we're still going to call any reasonable bet. But it it would be it would be a crying call in a way, right? Yeah. I mean, he made this hand a whole lot easier by missing his hand and checking, and then we felt pretty good about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Ed, thanks for supplying two hands of the week for us. And it is hands of the week, not hand of the weeks. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Some, of those things I, some of those things I disagree with, but in this case, hands of the week makes sense. So, Although that, that was kind of weird, though, because it makes it sound like there was two hands this week, and it wasn't. There was two hands for two weeks, so it should be hands of the weeks. <laughs> there we go. I think the fever's kicking in. I gotta go. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> we'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727 331 4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs> <laughs>